Uh, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin there. Does everybody have a message guide? Who doesn't have one? Raise your hand if you don't have one. Here's one here. There's one there. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Praise the Lord. Mark, we're going to talk again today about the birth and the progress of the church. And uh, this is important as the church for us to understand some foundational things. And Matthew 16, 18, Jesus makes this very profound statement. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If you have a King James, it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we talked about this last week. It's, it's an interesting word. It's literally the, the Greek word Hades. And that word Hades literally means unseen. And so we could, we could, we could translate this verse like this as well. Remember, we talked about gates also. Gates weren't just a place to keep the people outside. You wanted outside to remain outside. You know, how many of y'all saw the kingdom of heaven, right? Or you've seen the Lord of the Rings where they're attacking the gates because if you can open the gates, you know, then all the people come in. Well, gates weren't just a place that kept people out. Gates were also a place where uh, council was held and and governments were conducted, and judgments were made, and the elders sat at the gates. And as the people came and went, the elders were there, the leaders of the city. And so this word gates doesn't just speak of a physical barrier to keep people out of a city. It also speaks of the strategy or the counsel of the enemy. And so Jesus is saying here, I will build my church and the strength and strategy of the unseen realm shall not prevail against it. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. The rulers of wickedness in high places. And so there is an unseen realm and there is an unseen enemy who is... He doesn't have our best interest at heart. But now here's the good news. Jesus said that enemy in that realm shall not prevail against the church. So in that statement, Jesus is very emphatic and leaves absolutely no doubt concerning his victory. And so he makes this statement that is a promise to us. We are the church. Remember, this isn't the church. We're the church. If you are born again today, if you are in Christ, you are the church. So point to yourself and say, I am the church. Because you are. That's, what, that's who you are. And so he's making this promise to you. I will build my church. That word church means the assembly of called out ones. It speaks of a people, not a building. It speaks of people, called out people. And he says the gates, the counsel, the strength, the strategy of the unseen realm shall not prevail against the people I have called out for myself. That's a promise to us. So the church has been established in the promise of Christ. The church has been established in the power of the Spirit. And the church has been established in the witness of the saints. I mean, it was birthed by Christ, by the Spirit. It is witnessed, it is manifest, it is made known today through the witness, through the lives of the saints. That's us. The church is known by the church. Not because there's buildings sitting on corners with signs that say church. That's fine. But if there are no people who are the church, buildings don't save anybody. Buildings don't do anything. Buildings don't love people. Buildings don't witness for Christ. Buildings don't preach the gospel. People do that. Buildings don't manifest the life of Christ and the love of Christ. People do that. And so the church has been established in the witness of the saints. The reality of the church, the body of Christ, is declared in the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, 
we see the account of God taking Adam, putting him in a death-like sleep, taking a rib from his side and fashioning from that rib his wife, later known as Eve. And we see right there already in the very beginning a picture of the church. Adam is a type of Christ. Eve is a type. She is a picture of the church. Eve wasn't created from the dirt like Adam was. Eve was created from the side. She was birthed out of, created from the life of Adam. Just like the church is birthed out of and created from the life of Christ. And so right there in Genesis chapter 2, we see a picture of the church that's as plain as day. You go all the way to the end of the, the, the canon of Scripture, to the book of Revelation, and you see that there in Revelation, at the end of the Revelation there, recorded in the Scripture, John goes and the angel shows him the bride of the Lamb. The holy Jerusalem coming down. We see in the beginning the bride of the Lamb. We see a type of the, the church and Eve. In the end we see the fulfillment of that. That which Eve typified, we see that it will, will be manifest. It is fulfilled. And so from the beginning of the Scripture to the end of the Scripture, we see that the church is declared, the revelation of God's church, of the body of Christ. And all of these things point us to Christ and to His fullness. Who we, that's who we are. We'll look at the Scripture a little bit later. The church is declared in the Word of God. It's revealed in the Spirit of God. The revelation of the church is revealed in the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul makes this statement. He says, The natural man cannot discern spiritual things. Why? Because they're not naturally discerned. They are spiritually discerned. For those of you who have been through the Not I But Christ Bible study, we use this example. We use this analogy. How do you discern a sunset? Do you hear a sunset? No, if you try to discern a sunset with your ears, you're going to be disappointed, right? Because you can't hear a sunset. So your ears were never meant to be the faculty for you to discern a sunset. Your natural mind, your brain, was never meant to be the faculty for you to discern spiritual things. It's like trying to hear a sunset. It's not going to happen. And so the things of the Spirit are discerned Spiritually, they're spiritually discerned. The church is not a natural thing. The church is a very supernatural thing. Now, we're, we're, I mean, we're real people, right? I mean, we're not figments of someone's imagination. We're not, you know, some, someone's imagination. We're, we're real. We're flesh and blood. I mean, Jesus wasn't a, a ghost. That's why he sat down and he ate bread and fish with them after his resurrection, because he wanted them to know, no, I'm really bodily resurrected here. I'm, I'm not just a, a spirit here. I'm not your imagination. I'm a real person. I, I have a real resurrected body. But, but even though we have real bodies, and we're real people, we're, we are material people. I mean, we, this flesh and this bone and this blood, it's, it's real, it's material. But yet, we are... In Christ, who we are in reality is not just natural and material. We are supernatural. We are miraculous. When 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, that really means you became a new creation. That You didn't do that naturally. That was a supernatural, miraculous event happening that God did. By the power of His Spirit. And so the church is declared, it's revealed in the Spirit. It can only be spiritually discerned. This is why it's important for us to begin to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God. This is why it's important for you to, 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 to read your Bible. Not just read your Bible, but allow the Spirit of God to begin to open your heart and your mind to the reality of what this Word declares. If you read this word with your natural mind, you might understand some things, but, but, but there's other things you won't understand. And you won't understand the essence of what it's communicating because what it's communicating is Christ, and Christ cannot be naturally understood. He's got to be spiritually discerned. 
The church can't be naturally understood. This is why the world, the world doesn't understand us, and rightly so. And we make matters worse because we don't, we don't help things out because we're doing so many things that are contrary to who Christ is and what this word declares. We're not doing ourselves any favors. But even if we did, the world wouldn't understand us because they can't, because they're, they're of the world. And they can't naturally understand something that's not naturally discerned. Church, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you, are you tracking with me on this? So it is by the Spirit that these things must be revealed to us. Now that's not some spooky, mystical concept. That's just reality. I'm not being, you know, mystical here. I'm saying God gave us this Word for a reason. And He gave us the Holy Spirit for a reason. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us so that He can help us. He can discern for us these truths that we can properly comprehend them and understand who we are as the church, as the body of Christ. So it's declared in the Word of God. It's revealed in the Spirit of God. It's manifest where? In the people of God. So that which the Word declares, that which the Spirit has revealed, that it, it communicates about who you are as the body of Christ, those truths are to be manifest in our life. It, just a real practical example, the, the John's first letter to 1 John. His first letter is all about this. It's a real practical letter. He says, if you guys say that you love God but you hate one another, the love of God's not in you. For God is love, and everyone who loves is born of God. And he who loves not, knows not God. So we can say what we want, right? But the reality is, I can say I love God, but if I don't love you, John says there's a disconnect here somewhere. And so love has got to be manifest in my life. And so... If we belong to Christ and we have received the love of Christ and the Scripture is communicating that love and the Spirit is revealing to us that love, then that love needs to be manifest in our life and through our life. Amen? And so the reality of the church is manifest in the people of God. The Word and the Spirit coming together in the people of God that is the witness of the church. It is this Word and the living Word who is Christ and the Spirit of God coming together in a people and we become the witness, the witness of God in the earth, the witness which is the church. So we see that God has established a progression in, in a sense. The Word declares it so the people can know. I mean, we can't know but for the Word. That's why God supernaturally has preserved this word for us. Because the word declares these things. It makes known these things. And the spirit reveals it so that, that we can grow. So the word declares it so the people can know. The spirit reveals it so the people can grow. Grow in what? Grow in the knowledge that this word reveals. I can't grow in the knowledge of Christ except by the spirit. The spirit is what enables me to grow in that knowledge. The Spirit is what reveals those things to me and allows me to spiritually discern them. And the people live it so God's glory can show. God has saved us that we would glorify Him. Everything, everything in a sense, God's, God's purpose is real simple in everything that He's done. His ultimate purpose in everything is that He would be glorified. It's, it's really that simple. Your life is to glorify God. Amen? Before anything, above anything, your life is to glorify God. So the church's birth and progress is by the Spirit, but not without our obedience. And we're going to talk a lot about the Spirit of God today and our understanding of how the Spirit operates and, and what it means that he lives in us. But I don't want this very foundational thing to be lost here. 
Because when we start talking about spiritual things, we want to we want to like become space cadets. You know, we're like astronauts floating around out there, lost in space, and we want to keep our feet on the ground. Okay, and and, and we've got to understand that. You know, it's like saying, I'm just going to sit on the couch and, and, and let the Spirit of God do it. Well, it ain't going to get done with you sitting on the couch. The Spirit of God's not going to do anything with you just sitting on the couch. Well, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to sit here on my couch and I'm going to watch Christian television and pray all day that the world gets saved. Well, I'm praying my neighbors uh, hear the gospel. Well, maybe you're the vessel God's going to use to proclaim the gospel to them. And that, that's not going to happen with you sitting on the couch, right? So obedience might require that you get up off the couch and walk across the street and establish a relationship with your neighbors, show them the love of God, begin to interact with them, and as opportunity arises, you not only are able to preach the gospel to them, but, but you've already witnessed the gospel through your life. See how the Spirit of God works? He, he doesn't work apart from us. He's chosen to work in us and through us. Amen? So I want you to understand this very important thing. The birth and progress of the church is by the Spirit, but it's not without our obedience. Paul said it this way in Romans. He says, how are they going to hear unless someone's willing to go preach? In other words, they're going to get saved, but somebody's got to be obedient and go preach. Somebody's got to hear. Somebody's got to hear the message and receive it by faith. So, it's not without our obedience. So I just wanted to, I wanted to put that out there so that you don't feel like you're getting off the hook here. You know, we're just going to all sit around and have a cosmic convergence and the Spirit of God's going to do everything. That's, not, that's the way the New Agers think, but that's not the way the Scripture declares things. That's not what the Scripture teaches us. So let's, let's talk about our relationship with the Spirit. The people of God must understand their relationship with the Spirit of God. Amen? Luke eleven thirteen, Christ reveals that the Father will give the Spirit to those who ask Him. Jesus didn't say, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who work really hard for it? No. Those who are really spiritual and deserve it? No. It's real simple, people. Those who ask Him. Now, what does that mean? There is an assumption there that when you ask, you have to ask in faith. Okay? Because nothing happens in the kingdom of God apart from faith. That's why the scripture says in, in, in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, anything that we do that's not of faith is sin. And he wasn't being legalistic there. He was just saying, look, we walk by faith. We're not people who walk by sight. This isn't, we don't judge things based on just what we see with our eyes on the natural. We, we are a people that live in a realm that transcends the natural, that transcends what we can see or what we can't see. We are people of faith. We walk by faith. By faith, God. And so you go to Hebrews 11, and it tells you what all happened by faith. And the writer of Hebrews starts out that by faith, God spoke, and the worlds came into existence. By faith. And so, ask. Ask Him, and He'll give it to you. Acts 2, 4, records... The day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is poured out, we come down to verse 17, and Peter says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The Spirit was sent. He was poured out. And His full person dwells in all who are in Christ. Now, I worded that very specifically for this reason. I, I get the impression that a lot of, a lot of Christians get the idea that the Holy Ghost is some force floating around out there in the universe. And some have more than others of Him. Some have more of the force than others. You know, may the force be with you. No, we're not in Star Wars, okay? We're in the kingdom of God. And the Spirit of God is not a force in the universe. The Spirit of God is a person. And so we need to be 
consistent in thinking of the Holy Spirit as a person because that's, that's who he is. He's a person. So you're, each of you are a person, right? How many of you left part of yourself at home when you came to church today? You didn't, did you? You're all here, right? And so God is a person. Actually, God is three persons. He's one God and three persons. And the person of the Spirit doesn't live partly in me and the rest is partly in heaven. And when I become real spiritual, he'll give me some more of him. No. The Scripture doesn't teach that anywhere. So, church, you need to understand right off the bat, what is your relationship with the Spirit of God? If we don't understand our relationship with the Spirit of God as the church, as the body of Christ, we're, we're going to... We're going to go off on a tangent and we're going to get lost out here and we're not going to really be doing what we need to be doing. Amen? And we're going to think that we're still lacking something when in reality we're not lacking anything except knowledge of, of what God has given us. That's what we're lacking. We're not lacking something from God. We're lacking the knowledge of what God has indeed done. Amen? Alright, so he was poured out. And the full person of the Spirit dwells in all who are in Christ. This term, in Christ, is so important for you. Don't overestimate, don't underestimate that I mean. 1 Corinthians 6.19, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul is using an analogy there. So we are the dwelling place of the Spirit. He dwells in us. We are His dwelling and, and we are His people. Amen? We are His people. And He dwells in us. We don't have time today, but, but you should just meditate on that reality sometime. It will blow your mind. I mean, the, the Spirit of God who hovered over the darkness at creation is the same Spirit that lives on the inside of us. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that, that lives on the inside of us. What are you lacking, church? Not a thing. Not a thing except the knowledge of what God has done. Ephesians 1.23, it says the church is the fullness of Him, the fullness of Christ. It's been given to the church, His body, to be head over. And it says, look at the wording here. Let's turn real quick to Ephesians 1.23. And it says, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's an amazing statement. Now, who is the church? Is it this building? Does God want to fill this building with something? No. He, God cares less about this building. He, he, he doesn't care about this building except that we're in it. Except that this is where we meet. But, but apart from us being here, this building means nothing to God. But you are a building that means everything to God. You mean so much to God that He actually died for you and rose again, ascended to the throne, and sent His Spirit to dwell on the inside of you. You mean so much to God that He has put His Spirit inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Let's begin in verse 22, Ephesians 1, 22. And he put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and gave him Christ to be head over all things to the church. That's us. Now, if he's the head and we're the body, we're not disconnected from him, right? God's not the, the, uh, the church isn't the headless horseman. God's not some big head up in heaven and his body's down here. We, there is an understanding that if he's the head and we're the body, there's a unity there, right? There's one life there. There's one man there. There is one church. And here's what he says, which is his body, that's us, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are, church, we are the fullness of him. Now that's mind-boggling to me. Because we don't seem like we're the fullness to him, right? I mean, I don't know. You hang around my house long enough, you'll think Pastor Jeff is the fullness of God. You know, I mean, I'm goofy, I make mistakes, I get angry sometimes, I, you know, I mean, it's not saying that we're perfect. I mean, we are complete in Him. It doesn't mean we don't ever have failings, that we're not still subject to these, but, but here's, here's the point. This is why the Scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. 
God doesn't judge me by all my failings out here. God judges me based on who I am where? In Christ, in His Son. And so the Scripture makes a declaration about who the church is. The church is the fullness of Him. If the church is the fullness of Him, then where does the fullness dwell? It dwells in us, right? Christ is the fullness. Christ lives in us by the Spirit. So you, you, you understand where I'm going with this? Do you have fullness today, church, if you are in Christ? Do you? Yes, you do. You didn't say that convincingly enough. Let me ask the question again. Church, if you are in Christ, if you've been saved, that's what it means to be in Christ. If you have been saved, born again, and you are in Christ, do you have fullness today? Yes. yes. Because I say so or because the Scripture says so? Forget what I say if I'm not telling you what the Scripture says. No, because the Scripture says so, okay? Well, let's go on. Ephesians, now, I put a big, long section of Scripture. I'm not going to read there, but here's what I want you to understand. Let's, while we're in Ephesians, let's go to chapter 5. Us charismatic believers, we like to quote this Scripture a lot. See, I told you the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, it does. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The problem is don't stop reading there. Matter of fact, really what we need to do is go all the way to the end of the letter. Because Paul in detail describes a Spirit-filled life. And Paul is speaking of things that go so much deeper than, but he's also being very practical here. He's using pictures that we can understand, that communicate what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So let's, let's just, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this concept of being filled with the Spirit as his people, we have his fullness. You already said you agree with me there because that's what the scripture says. But the question is, are we filled? Well, what does that mean to be filled? Well, it means, are you fully submitted to the fullness that's in you? If, if you have the fullness of God, if God in the fullness, if his spirit fully lives inside of you, the question is, are you fully submitted to that spirit? Are you allowing something else to take control of your life? Paul uses a very, a very practical example in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipate. What happens when you get drunk with wine? Who's controlling your judgment and your activities? You're, it's, it's, it's influenced by the wine, right? So he says, listen, just like wine can influence you, when you guys get drunk on wine, you lose control of yourself. The same way you let the wine take control of you, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit take control of your life. Let the Spirit dictate your life. Let the Spirit be submitted to that Spirit in you and let Him have full control. Let him fully control your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we're a bunch of robots. But when you do something that's not consistent with the Spirit of God, do you know you've done something not consistent with the Spirit of God? Yes, you do. Why? Because the Spirit in you lets you know, hey, that's not consistent with who I am. That's not consistent with Christ. You know, I... I mean, people have different issues, you know. Some people battle with road rage. You guys have road rage issues? I don't, but I know people that do, you know. And, you know, sometimes driving down the road, they give, they give that person they don't even know the your number one sign. <laughs> but it's not the your number one sign, you know what I mean? Well, but is that consistent with the Spirit of God? No. So when you shake your fist or you yell, or you lose your temper, the Spirit of God in you very quickly reminds you that that's not, that's not right. That's not consistent with who I am. Well, 
What Paul is saying here is, and this is, this is the point we want to come to in our life, where that spirit in us, we submit to that spirit and we never shake our fist and we never raise our voice and we never cuss that person out or we never say or do those things that are inconsistent because we are being controlled by the spirit. We are submitted to the nature and character of the spirit. Amen? And so Paul goes on, and you can in your own leisure, in your own time, read the rest of this, but Paul says... It affects husbands and wives, but he's speaking of something much deeper there. He's speaking of the church. It affects children. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, treat your slaves right. If you guys profess to be believers and you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you're not going to treat your slave that way. You're not going to treat your servant that way. Servant, you're not going to have an attitude towards your your master like you do if you truly have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Parents, you won't treat your children like that if you truly have the Spirit of God. Be submitted to that Spirit and you'll know how to raise your children, love your children, take care of those who you work for or who work for you, your husband, your wife, your family. You understand? It has a very practical application and Paul is saying... This is part of the spirit-filled life. Now, we want to just, we just want to relegate it to coming into a church service and getting all wild and hoopla and having an experience. And we say, whoo, the spirit moved. Then we go out back home and we beat our dog and, and yell at our kids and slam the doors. And, and, but we want to say we're spirit-filled people. Now, tell me which is a more accurate picture of being spirit-filled. Having a big hoopla in here or going out there and living a life consistent with who the Spirit of God is. Huh? I, I know, listen. We want to live in denial, but we can't. We can't keep living in denial, church. Okay? I mean, we have been given the Spirit of God because we are to be a witness to this world. And if you haven't noticed, the world's not breaking our doors down to come here and see what kind of hoopla we got going on in here. They only know us by how we act out there. So how we treat them in the office, on the job, in the neighborhood, in the grocery store, that clerk that's just kind of short with you and, and, and has had a bad day and she just treated you the way she shouldn't treated you, how do you respond to that? You give her right back what she gave you? Huh? Well... Paul says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to do that. If you're letting the Spirit be the one in control of your life, you're not going to give it back to her the way she gave it to you. Why? Because you understand she's just out there in the world. She doesn't know any difference. That's who she is. But you can be a witness in the way you respond. So we need to expand our idea of what it means to be Spirit-filled and what it means to, to live submitted to the Spirit. The church today wants to let this be what happens inside of our buildings, be the center of our universe, and it was never meant to be that. We were called to go out and be salt and light, and we need to start doing that. So submission to the Spirit's will or to our own will? This is the question. Are we fully submitted? What does our life, what does our walk reveal? Does it reveal submission to the Spirit's will or does it reveal that I am submitted to my own will. This is the issue, okay? Submission to His Spirit is submission to His Word. That's a, this is another thing. We want to say we're all spiritual, but, but, but we don't care anything about reading the Word, studying the Word, and learning the Word. We just want to have a spiritual experience, but we don't want to take the time to grow in the knowledge of Christ as revealed in His Word. And I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot be submitted to the Spirit if you're not submitted to His Word. I mean, I run into people all the time. They are making life decisions based on the weirdest, wackiest things you've ever heard in your life. But don't bother to open up the Bible and find out what the Bible says. I had a dream last night. I had this experience. I had that, and I take that as a sign from God. I've been praying for years. God, and God finally gave me a sign through. I'm like, dude... Open your Bible. I mean, what are you, why have you been praying for years? It's right there in the Bible. But see, we don't want what the... That's too, that's too easy. It's too black and white. It's not subjective enough. 
Now, how am I going to argue and say, well, your dream wasn't of God? There's no argument when we break open the Word of God and, and this is what the Word says. And so the reality is, are we going to be submitted to this Word? And we will deny what the Word declares so that we can create some subjective thing. And then here's what Jeremiah called it in Jeremiah 28.9. He says, you dreamers have deceived yourself by dreaming the dreams that you caused yourself to dream. In other words, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy is what Jeremiah said. You guys wanted to rebel against God so bad, you just made yourself dream the dream, and then you justified your rebellion and said, see, God gave me the dream. Do you know that didn't end with Jeremiah in his day? It's still happening today. We have been called to something much more substantial than that. Amen? All right. Many are trying to create a move of the Spirit. Now, track with me here, church. But God has, in Christ, created a people to walk in the Spirit. I mean, we've we, I mean, we got the church out there trying to create a move of God. You guys, I'll give you this exercise, because I did it. I have a little program on my computer called eSword. If you have a PC, it's a free download. They actually have it for Mac and PC. It's a excellent tool. So uh, you, can, you can search, for instance, move of the Spirit. Do you know there's only two places in Scripture that that, that term is used? But the way we throw that term around today, you think that that is all over the place. And it's not even used in the context that we want to use it in. But if you if you look and see what the Scripture says about walking in the Spirit or our walk in Christ, now, you, it'd take you a while to go through those Scriptures. There's about 65 of them, 64 of them, just in the New Testament. And so what I'm saying is, while we're trying to create a move of the Spirit, God has already created in Christ a people that He has called to walk in the Spirit. Amen? There is a difference. So in Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. So the Scripture uses the word walk to describe our life. There's, there's two main words in the Greek that, that are used that we translate walk. And one of them is, literally means to walk. And for instance, this, this scripture, Ephesians 2.10, it's this word that literally means to walk. But in all of Paul's epistles, Paul never used, he uses this word all over the place in his letters, but he never uses this word to literally mean, like, I'm going walking. Paul uses this word walk to communicate the concept of the, our life. Our, it, it, it's, our walk is our life. It's the totality of our life. So Paul takes this word and that's the context he consistently uses it in, in his letters to the church. For instance, Romans 6, 4. It says, if we've been baptized with Christ, uh, crucified with him, baptized with him, raised with him, then, then we were raised with him that we may walk in newness of life. We were raised up in Christ that we would walk in newness of life. And, and Paul is talking about our life that we would live that the totality of our life would be in newness. Remember, I'm not an old thing anymore. I'm not the old thing. I'm a new creation. As a new creation, the totality of my life has become new. This is our life in Christ. This word walk. There's another word walk. In Galatians 5.25, Paul says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, he could have used, if we walk in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. But he didn't do that because he wants to draw a distinction here. Because he uses the word walk to describe living in the Spirit all over the place. But, but this other word walk here, it means to march in rank. It's like, a, it's like an army that's marching. You ever seen pictures like, remember when the Soviet Union was, was still around and they'd have the big parades in Red Square, you know, and those guys, or you've seen the... 
pictures from World War II. This is what this word describes. It's to march in rank, to march in step, to keep step. So Paul is saying here, he says, if we live in the Spirit, then let us also keep step or march in rank or conform to that Spirit. So if my life is in the Spirit, he said, then my walk, the order of my life, my lifestyle, how I live my life should be conformed to the Spirit. So when the guy cuts me off in traffic, I'm not going to give him the your number one sign, right? Because that's not consistent with the Spirit of God. When my dog tears everything up in my backyard and makes it look like a I don't know what, I'm not going to take my gun out there and shoot him in the head because that's not consistent with the Spirit of God. Now, I was tempted to do that a few times, but I didn't do it because I caught myself and I said, that wouldn't be consistent with the Spirit of God. I mean, what, who, what, what pastor shoots his dog in the head, right? You, you just don't do that. So I didn't. I yelled at him, though. But they're just dogs. They, they, as far as they know, I'm happy with them, you know. No, they, they know better. <laughs> they may be dogs, but they know better. So, we're to, if we live in the Spirit, we're also to walk, keep step, conform to the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. So, I want you to think about the children of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, they were in the wilderness and they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. So, picture this. Got the whole camp set up, and we've been camped out here now for about three months in this one spot. And there's the pillar of cloud, and all of a sudden, somebody says, Hey, whoa, man, the cloud is moving. Folks, let's go. God's moving. And so they pull up stakes, and they start packing up, and they follow the cloud. That was a picture of Israel's relationship with God in the wilderness, but that is not who we are. We're not living in the desert Following the cloud, we are in Christ walking in the Spirit. There was a separation between God and His children in the desert. In Christ, there is no separation now. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. I'm in the Spirit. The Spirit is in me. It speaks of oneness. I'm not following a cloud. The Spirit in me. I am walking in the Spirit. You need to really begin to meditate on the difference there because we're, we're not following God. We are in Him and He is in us. We are to walk. We live in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit? Well, the answer is revealed by the Spirit. Why? Because these things aren't naturally understood. They're spiritually discerned. It's revealed by the Spirit where? In the Word of God. So just a few examples I mean, number one, you can't walk in the Spirit if you're not in Christ. In other words, if you're not saved, you can't walk in the Spirit. Because you've got to be in the Spirit. You've got to live in the Spirit before you can walk in the Spirit. Well, how do I come to live in the Spirit? You come to be in Christ. How do I do that? You get saved. You, by faith, receive the gift that He's offered. If you're not saved, you're not in the Spirit. You can't walk in the Spirit. So in Christ, Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You go down to verse 9, and verse 9 says, If you are in Christ, you are in the Spirit. You're not in the flesh. So you've got to be in Christ. You, you do it how do you, by, in obedience. Acts 5.32. I mean... It involves obedience. Remember, we're not sitting on the couch waiting for God to mystically do something. I mean, I need to obey the leading of the Spirit. When the Spirit says, don't act that way, I shouldn't act that way. Not because I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation or God's not going to... No. Because that action or those words are not consistent with who God is. So why do I want to live in a manner... Why do I want to keep step with a manner that is not consistent with God? Well, I don't want to. And the Spirit of God is there to help me. So, in power, in the power of God. You can't walk in the Spirit apart from the power of God because you can't do it in your own power and your own strength. It is God in His power, in His grace that will give you the ability to do it. In humility and submission, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will... Lift you up in his time. 
God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Ephesians 5.21 says, Therefore, submitting yourselves, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Humility and submission. In faith, Hebrews 11, James chapter 2. Read those chapters. You're not going to do anything unless it's in faith. Faith is the only way we are able to do anything in the kingdom. And most importantly, in love. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's whole section in 1 Corinthians 13, that whole chapter is, is talking about how to operate in your spiritual gift. Now, we've got libraries full of books to tell people how to operate in their spiritual gifts. I'm going to stick with what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible, do you, believe, do you really believe that everything you need to know is right here in the Scripture? especially things concerning spiritual giftings and stuff like that. It is absolutely, if it's not here, then don't worry about it. And here's how Paul, tell, Paul says, here's how you operate in your gift, church. He says, do it in love. And if you're not doing it in love, then you're wasting your time. You say, but yeah, but how do I do it? Well, see, that question takes us back to who's really in control. If I'm the one doing it, then God's not in control, is he? But if I am submitted to his spirit and following his leading, do you think he knows how to operate a gift through me? He absolutely does. And if I'm submitted to him, then he will operate that gift through me when he wants, how he wants, wherever he wants. All right, the power of the spirit is the Abiding life of the Spirit. What does that mean? The power of the Spirit is the abiding life of the Spirit. So let me ask this question. Do I have any guys in here that like to work on things? All right, so I have electricity running to my building, okay? I mean, the power company came out. They, they hooked the wire up. And, and we got all the wires, we got the panel box there. Caleb and Spencer put all the plugs in that building there. So we got electricity in that building. But, but when am I going to get power to that building? I got electricity, but, but when, when do I get the power? Huh? Huh? Are you telling me the power's already there? If I have electricity, do I have power? Well, why do we believe if we have the Spirit of God, we can be void of power? Well, I got the Spirit of God, but they got the Spirit, but they don't have any power. That's like saying my house has electricity, but it doesn't have any power. It doesn't make sense, does it? Sounds, sounds cute. Sounds nice. If I have the Spirit of God, can I be void of power? Can you separate electricity and Can you take the power out of the electricity? Can you take the power out of the Spirit of God? No. If I have the Spirit of God, do I have power? Yes. So the power of the Spirit is the abiding life of the Spirit whose power works in us. My house has electricity, so it has power because it has electricity. It has electricity because it has power. They're, they're, they're one and the same. You can't separate them. I have power because I have the Spirit in me. And the power of the Spirit is the abiding life of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when He comes. <laughs> 2 Timothy 1.7, God has given us the Spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. 1 Corinthians 12.11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. As He wills. See, I'm not even the one that flips the switch. God is the one who flips the switch. I don't determine when God's going to heal through my hands. Now, I've prayed for people, and I've seen people miraculously healed, but I didn't do that. God did that. If I could pick and choose when I'm going to flip the switch to heal people, then, man, I'm telling you what, I'd be a famous man. <laughs> I'd be a famous man. But we don't get, we're not the ones that get to pick when the... We don't flip the switch. God is the one that determines that. But I need to be a willing vessel to pray for those who need prayer. And I need to trust that God is able to heal, but I'm not the one that determines whether those things happen or not. 
It's not, it's not a method or a formula, but it's a relationship. It's a relationship in Christ based on love, faith, and obedience. It's not a spectacle. You know what a spectacle is? I gave you the Webster's definition of spectacle. Here's what a spectacle is according to Webster. Something exhibited to view as unusual, notable, or entertaining. Especially an eye-catching or dramatic public display. That's what a spectacle is. God did not give the Spirit. He did not give us His Spirit so that we would become a spectacle. He didn't give us His Spirit so that we could create some big old hoopla and showcase. That's not why He gave us His Spirit. Those things have done nothing but lead to brokenness and heartache and, and destruction. I could list you right now the men of God who have done those things and almost without exception, those movements have ended in disgrace, in sin. I'm telling you, almost without exception have they. And, and the church gets all excited about those things because they're not properly discerning what, why God has given us His Spirit. It, it was never meant to be a spectacle. It is not given to become a show for man. God gave us His Spirit so that we could live a lifestyle, that we could walk in the Spirit, that our very life, it's, it's, it's not an event, it's our lifestyle, it's who we are in Christ. And we need to understand that when we leave here, whether we're coming here, leaving here, going to work, whether it's Sunday or Monday or, or Wednesday morning or working late on Thursday night, that same Spirit never leaves you, never forsakes you. That power that was poured into you and that Spirit came to, to dwell on the inside of you. When you became the temple of the Holy Spirit, that Spirit and that power, it's in you all the time. It never leaves you. It never subsides. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't ebb and flow like the tide. We're talking about God here. God, the person of the Spirit who lives on the inside of you. Now you might not be conscious of Him. You might be ignorant of, of the reality. You know, it's like living in a house that's got electricity, but you don't know it has electricity, so you've been living in the dark for, for two years because you didn't know you had any power in the house. Well, just because you've been living in the dark doesn't mean there's no power in the house. It just means you don't know there's power in the house. Right? And what I'm saying, church, we need to learn there's power in the house. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. And He, he gave us that Spirit for a reason. God has called His church to a walk. He has not called His church to a movement. We need to forsake movements. We need to run Away from them as fast as we can. Okay? The next time someone says the last great outpouring of God is taking place in pick your city and pick your state, do me a favor and run away from it as fast as you can. Okay? Because I'm telling you what, God has created a people to walk in the Spirit. He hasn't created movements. If you haven't noticed, most of the movements man has created have Ended badly. But here we have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the word of God preserved through the centuries. Here we have the witness of the church that has never gone away. God is going to do what God is going to do. And man is going to do what he's going to do in his foolishness. Let's not be foolish, church. Let's be wise. You have that same Spirit living on the inside of you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. A movement is an event, but a walk is a life. What God's called us to is a lifestyle. So walk, church, walk. Live this life, live this lifestyle, trusting God to use you miraculously as He wills, when He wills, where He wills, in all that He wills. Because the progress of the church is known in her walk. It's not known in what we say, because we can say all kinds of things. It's going to be known ultimately in our walk. It's going to be known in how we live our life. It's going to be known in what is seen and known through 
who we are as people. Movements will come and go. Events will happen and fade. But I'm telling you what, God has called us to walk in the Spirit, to live a lifestyle that is conformed to who He is, His nature, His character, revealed in this Word. And He has given us the power to do it. Power's in the house, church. If the Spirit's in you, there's power in the house. You can't separate the power of the Spirit from the, the reality of who the Spirit is. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged. Say, well, but I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted. Well, it's not up to you. God will determine how the prayers are answered. But we need to be obedient to pray. We need to be people of faith who believe. But we don't need to go out there and try to protect God's reputation because so-and-so didn't get healed or this didn't happen the way we thought it should happen. God doesn't need us to protect his reputation. He's God. And we don't have to explain everything that doesn't go the way we think it should. We need to take a step back and realize God is the one running the show. And so sometimes we just need to say to people, you know what, we're just going to have to trust God. I don't understand why things happened the way they did, but I know God is good. And God is faithful and he is trustworthy. Let's pray and let's believe for healing or deliverance. Let's pray that this prayer be answered, but let's also understand that God is the one ultimately who's flipping the switches and calling the shots. But we know he loves us. Why? Because he sent his son to die for us. And more than that, he gave us his spirit. His spirit lives on the inside of us. He has given us a guarantee, not only of his love, but of our salvation and all that we have in him. Amen? That's good news. That is good news. And the church needs to understand these things so that we can be the witness God's called us to be in this world. Amen? Let's all stand. I want to know, is there anyone here today, and you say, Pastor Jeff, I've never, I've never really surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would like for you to pray with me today uh, as I make a decision to surrender my life to Christ. Is there anybody, and you say, I want prayer today to surrender my life to Christ. Is there anyone, 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 anyone in this place? All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it has revealed to us, all that it declares to us. And Lord, we thank you that you have done more than just give us a written word. Lord Jesus, you are the living word. And Lord, you have given us your spirit. Lord, we are not a people. We are not a house without power. Lord, the very same Spirit that was there at creation, creating, the very same Spirit that was in that tomb raising Christ from the dead is the very same Spirit that lives in us. Lord, I pray today that by that Spirit, you would open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, that we would be people that would begin to comprehend more clearly that reality that we are not a people, Lord, desiring or wanting or needing more power, but Lord, you have given us your fullness. Lord, but we need to grow in the knowledge of who you are. We need to grow in our understanding of what you have done, Lord, at salvation and what you have delivered to your saints once and for all in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us, give us Lord, I pray a hunger for your word, a thirst for your word. That, Lord, it would not just be some dry word that we're feeling obligated to read, but, Lord, this is the word of God, the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father God, I pray that you would give us that hunger, that desire, that you would transform us and renew our minds, Lord, by your word, by the washing of your word, and that, Lord, you would help us live conscious every day, every step we take in this life, God, that you have put your spirit in us and we are a people filled with power. Lord, help us to live lives submitted to your spirit. Lord, for your glory. 
We ask this in the name above all names. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Come tonight at 6 for the Bible study. Hmm? Oh, fam listen, next weekend, next weekend is family weekend. That means we won't have children's church, so all the kids are going to stay in. And if you'll bring your kids at 9 o'clock, uh, we'll invite everybody, young and old, kids and adults. Uh, we'll have people up here singing. Anybody that wants to sing with the worship team, and uh, we'll keep the kids in next weekend. So that will be next Sunday, family weekend. Don't forget the salt meeting. Bring your food. Come at 5 o'clock next Saturday, and let's have a great time.